You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Chicago Bears still have three games left this season, but that last game against the Minnesota Vikings felt like Akeem Hicks saying goodbye to Chicago Bears fans. And I'm not ready to say goodbye to Akeem Hicks yet. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnBears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you're subscribed to the Locked On Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Today's episode is sponsored by Stance Apparel. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life, a life less ordinary with Stance. Thanks for making Lockdown Bears your first listen today and every day. On the show today, we hear Akeem Hicks and, and what he's sort of feeling at this stage in his Bears career, not really sure what the future is going to bring and, and wanting to put a bow on it against the Vikings. But also, this is, it's going to just kind of turn into a bit of an Akeem Hicks appreciation segment because I, he's, he might be my favorite player. Uh, he, he is my favorite player on the Chicago Bears, and I don't think he still gets enough credit and enough appreciation for what he brings to this team and what he does on the field, even when the stat sheet doesn't necessarily put him in the same echelon as some of the other top defensive linemen in the NFL. So we'll we'll, we'll sort of say goodbye, but not yet, to Akeem Hicks. We'll say hello to Thomas Graham Jr., the rookie cornerback who stepped into the starting lineup, played like a starting caliber NFL cornerback, and got promoted to the active roster and kind of go through some of the things he did so well in that game. And then we'll wrap up with some words from Matt Nagy about what we saw from Justin Fields. And I think a moment in that game that really encapsulated so much of what has gone wrong in this quarterback, play caller, supporting cast dynamic for this Chicago Bears offense. But I want to start with Akeem Hicks because it was so good to see Akeem Hicks out there and playing like Akeem Hicks. You know, when he's been dealing with these injuries over the last few seasons or so, there have been too many moments where it's kind of felt a little bit like even when he's on the field, he's just not quite, you can just tell he's not 100%. Not that he was a liability in those moments or that he wasn't worth playing, but like, and even against the, even against this Vikings team, he wasn't 100%. It was his first game back from injury. But we saw those moments and those flashes, particularly on those sacks, but there were other plays as well where he just ragdolls an offensive lineman. And it's so fun to watch, and I appreciate it so much, and I'm just, I'm going to miss it so much if this truly is his last season with the Chicago Bears. And he's kind of said all along, like, hey, it's you know, he would love to be back. It's just sort of a matter of getting that feeling from negotiations and from, you know, talking with front office and, and how things have gone up to that point and that the team gave him the opportunity to seek a trade this past offseason that maybe feels like writing might be on the wall there financially and where he is given his age. But here, here's sort of where Akeem Hicks said his feelings were after the game and how he sort of feels about his future left the rest of the season in Chicago and what's going to come beyond. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I got games to play. And um, if I do end up leaving, I'll miss it here. I truly love my time. 
How do you feel after a game like that? Obviously, he plays pretty well. The defense, with so many guys out, plays great. But then, again, in the end, it's not enough to get you guys the victory. I think that I was really impressed by how our defense played. I think that we gave up some stuff. Like Sean said it when we came in the locker room, you know, we gave up an early touchdown. We did some things that we didn't want to do. But to watch how hungry and, and, and ferocious those young guys wanted to play today, that, that turned me, I almost said turned me on, got me excited. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's exciting. You know what I mean? When you're watching your boys play, especially young guys that haven't really been around the game as much or, or haven't got the league experience, they're just so hungry to make a play. It's like, good stuff, young man. Need a cigarette after that. Two. Yeah, Big fella. Akeem, when you're talking about the emotion that you're going through, thinking about that this could be the end with you and the Bears, how, how does that sit with you? I mean, especially knowing the, the last three seasons haven't gone very well. So sad. So sad because I do anything for him. But that's the way it goes. Do you feel like you've put yourself into that lexicon of conversation in terms of, you know, great Bears defenders and the tradition of defense here in Chicago? I wonder. I wonder. Um, I'll say this. Whenever I talk to the guys that came before me, um, just for them to say that they appreciate my game is enough for me because that's what you're looking to impress. They played it. They lived it, you know. Um, talking to those guys, Tommy Harris, Dan Hampton, you know, it, it's exciting for them to even watch me play, you know. So, I'm happy. It's so hard not to just, like, want to root for the guy through and through. Like, he's he's not only a phenomenal, impressive player on the field, but there's such, like, a refreshing honesty and personality to him, right? It's not, it's not an ego of, like, you know, it's some players have big personalities and it's just kind of a big ego thing and they want to be the stars and the center of attention. But, like, Akeem Hicks just goes out there every time he talks to the media and is super real and genuine in a way that we don't get from Matt Nagy or really most head coaches in the NFL. We don't, we haven't gotten from bears quarterbacks on the, on the I mean, quarterbacks in general. I mean, fields is, is pretty good about, you know, he doesn't usually beat her on the bush too much, but there's just an energy that Akeem Hicks brings when he talks, but more importantly, like on the field, what we see from him. And I feel like if we weren't in a, in this time in the NFL right now where you have Aaron Donald setting the bar so ridiculously high and doing things we've never seen before from a defensive lineman, I think we would have an even greater appreciation of Akeem Hicks. Because, like, Hicks doesn't get the ridiculous sack numbers, but the the way he moves for a man his size, they talked about this a little bit on the broadcast, but, like, he's a 325, 330, 335 sometimes pound defensive lineman who is the first one off the snap and is quicker than the offensive lineman he's going against. And that that combination of size and speed, and then to have the, the, the hand technique and arm technique and strength to go with that is rare. Like he's not he's not gonna be in the Hall of Fame, right? He doesn't have the numbers and but but like he does special things. And he belongs in those those conversations that he talked about with some of at least the all-time great bears defensive lineman. Again, the numbers aren't going to be there, but it's it's the pressures. It's the things he does physically. And maybe injuries have contributed some to that, but we got a good solid three years of him, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 before. 2019 was kind of an injury year. 2020, he was, he played in more games, but he wasn't, he didn't seem quite 100% that season. And of course, he missed a lot of time this year, but looked so good against the Vikings. And I just, I don't know how much more key mix we're going to get. And, and I'm going to miss it so much. He, he's my favorite Chicago Bears player to watch. And he's my favorite Chicago Bears player to hear from. And it's just, it's hard, man. You know, like, I, I don't want to see him go. I mean, I get like, 
he's getting older and he's not the same Akeem Hicks he once was. And he's he, salary wise, sure you can kind of you can make some arguments there. And he's thirty two and and he's not going to be going up from here, right? It's only going to be downhill at what rate to be determined. But like, I, I would love to find some way to keep him around as long as possible because he's just such a positive influence on this locker room, on this team on the field and you know publicly as a face of this defense for the Bears media and, and if if this is the last stretch of a key mix that we get to see I'm going to cherish it as much as I possibly can and I, and I hope you will too so maybe we'll have to do another goodbye to Akeem Hicks when he formally is gone. I don't want to bury him before he's dead, and I don't want this to be a eulogy, right, for, for Akeem Hicks. He's alive and well and will continue his NFL career somewhere next season. But I just hope that we appreciate it now while we still have it and don't look back and say, man, I should have appreciated Akeem Hicks more. So maybe this is the, the early goodbye to him, but I do want to say hello as well to a new young emerging member of this Chicago Bears defense, Thomas Graham Jr., the rookie out of Oregon at cornerback. I was so impressed with what he did on the field, and I was really impressed then with the way he was able to break down his game afterward. So we'll hear from him and kind of go in depth a little bit more on what he was able to do next on Locked On Bears. The Super Bowl is just a couple of months away, and our friends at On Location are the only place to score a -a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. On Location is the official hospitality partner of the NFL. So all of this is legitimate top-of-the-line luxury experience. You get to choose your exact seats at Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. And then they pair that with elite experiences featuring exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends. I mean, like legitimate Hall of Fame caliber NFL players. Hang out with them before the big game in Los Angeles. You cannot beat that. Plus, five-star hotels in Los Angeles and food by the great Wolfgang Puck as well. I mean, your mind, body, soul, stomach, all going to be fulfilled on a trip like this. So head on over to onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information, or you can search Super Bowl on location. The website again, onlocationexp.com slash SB56, or search the words Super Bowl on location. Stepping up on this Bears defense against the Minnesota Vikings was a player we were intrigued about entering this season, but Thomas Graham Jr. didn't make the 53-man roster, stuck around on the practice squad, and, you know, waited for his opportunity, was always sort of there as the team had other issues at defensive backs. And all of a sudden, this was one of those games where you're left kind of wondering, you know, why wasn't he getting playing time earlier? And he himself talked about that after the game, and I don't think that's in the clip I have for you here, but he talked a little bit about how the team kind of told him during preseason and training camp that he needed to be more consistent, that they were seeing flashes of it, but that he just wasn't able to fully lock it in and and dial it in the exact way that they needed him to. But clearly against the Minnesota Vikings, he did just that. It was enough for the team to promote him formally to the active roster, and I think it should be enough where he should be in, in the starting lineup next to Jalen Johnson this week. He's definitely earned that opportunity to lose it. You know, it's his, it should be his spot to lose. And you could always go back to Kendall Vildor or Artie Burns again if, you know, it was a one-game fluke or whatever from Thomas Graham. But I thought hearing how he talked about what he was able to do with the Vikings really, I think, confirmed a lot of what we liked about what we saw in the field in the sense of, like, 
this guy gets it. And I think you can tell pretty quickly when he talks about what he was reading and seeing on his past breakups that, like, it's definitely all there between the ears in terms of, you know, understanding the game. And then, of course, physically we saw him lay out for pass breakups and really be everywhere he needed to be for this Bears defense. Can you take us through two of the pass breakups, the one in the end zone and then the other one where you're jumping and extended all the way? Uh, so the one in the end zone, um, we had, uh, what was that? I think that was a wing say It was a tight end. Um, it was a max protection look. So I knew that if I was to get a route, um, I was expecting corner. Uh, but how he ran the corner route, I was just like, it's no way he's running the corner um, in my head. If somebody tries to sell a route too hard, they're not running that route. So he tried to set a corner too hard. He broke in. I stayed back. Um, and we knew when they get into the red zone, they like posts. Um, and they just tried to hit it off a corner post to try to get me off my leverage. And I got there. I should have turned my hands over this way to get the pick. But, you know, I went this way. I'll take the pass break up. And then on the other one, we were in cover too. And I seen the flat guy, but I also was looking at his um, Kirk Cousins, seeing his shoulders high. And I'm just like, it's no way that he's going to throw it short. So I took one step to make it seem like, you feel me, he had me pause. But in reality, I'm still getting out of there. And then, you feel me, I need to get on the Vertimax a little bit so I get the pick. But I'll take the fast break up. You said, you know, you didn't want to be on the practice squad. It was tough being on the practice squad. Yes. Going back to that day that you got cut and you didn't make 53 or anything like that, to now, um, personally, uh, once I got cut, I was just kind of, I was butthurt, but I knew that I didn't show everything I needed to during camp. Um, I made mistakes, and I think the one thing that I didn't do that they wanted me to show was consistency. Um, that's one thing I showed through my whole college career was a consistent corner that can go out there and make plays in and out, and I feel like during camp and during preseason, I didn't do enough of that. Um, and I felt and they felt that I needed to develop. Um, and it was a kind of a hard truth that I wanted to, to say, but I took a year off of football. It was, it was hard. Um, and me and Ryan had talked about it. He gave me film to watch uh, other corners that are similar to my game. Um, Ronnell was played a big part um, in that, uh, just helping me after practice with meetings. And it was, it was a roller coaster for me, and I'm not going to act like it was easy. It wasn't an easy moment for me. Uh, but just eventually my confidence started growing, started making more plays in practice, and I just knew, like, whenever your, your opportunity comes, you got to take advantage of it because God is only going to give you this chance at once. It's about what you do with it. And I, you feel me, prayed on it, and I'm thankful for him for allowing me to be in this opportunity and get this, up, this chance. First of all, <laughs> when, he, when he's asked that question about what his reaction was when he was cut from the 53-man roster, I just want to make it clear, his answer there, you could hear him, you could hear him pause and kind of stutter and stammer a little bit, wondering if he should use the word that was on his mind. But he said, and I quote, you heard him say it there, I was a little bit butthurt. <laughs> and I, like I had to listen back two or three times. I was like, did he, did he just say he was, he, he was butthurt when, when, he, when he got cut from the Bears' 53-man roster? So I, I, I love that about him. And it's hard, it's hard to not giggle about it. But, but more importantly there, like, like legitimate understanding of how to play cornerback at the NFL level. First of all, like being in the red zone, studying tendencies and anticipating that you might see a post route in that situation, right? It's, it's such a contrast to what we saw from Deion Bush on the Justin Jefferson touchdown, where he should have anticipated a corner route based on the alignment of their number one receiver on the inside slot. We talked about that on yesterday's podcast. The, the Vikings ran a double, a double China seven. It's a, it's a route concept. They go to a lot and, and like, 
Thomas Graham said, they do like to run a lot of post routes in the red zone. It's not going to come from the inside slot receiver like that. You're just going to run the traffic. And Thomas Graham didn't have the same kind of inside coverage support on that play as Deion Bush did on the play where he gave up the touchdown. It's beside the point, but it, it was such a smart read for Thomas Graham there to know tendencies and to study an opponent in that way for a guy who had been on the practice squad not practicing with the starters and just called up into the starting lineup because of COVID to have be, to be that aware, to have studied the opponent that well and to step in and know that and to not only to know that in the week leading up to the game, but to be on the field in that situation, read the formation. And like you said, they were tight formation and he saw max protection. So then that, that triggered to him that it was probably going to be that post route coming over the middle, like to process that, that so quickly in your first NFL start as a rookie against the Vikings in that kind of situation incredible. Plus, then you add on the other one he was talking about, where he's the underneath corner in cover two, and he baited Kirk Cousins into the throw. Like, that's the kind of stuff I remember, like, you know, like Marcus Peters was so good at baiting quarterbacks in those same kind of things where he would show a coverage underneath and then bail back behind that, trying to bait the quarterback to throw it and go up and get that ball. And, like, the difference is, like, Marcus Peters would be the one that would, like, pick those off, and Thomas Graham gets the pass breakup. But, like, Holy hell, we're talking about a six-round rookie in his first start, and he was in that moment, right? It's it's not only to like to to know that, but then to think that in that moment, in the live play where the bolts are flying, to read Kirk Cousins' shoulders, and then to bait him by stepping forward to the guy you're more responsible for covering, and then bailing back into that once you know you've baited a veteran NFL quarterback throwing to veteran NFL wide receivers. Holy hell. Is that impressive for a rookie six-round pick cornerback? That's a guy who gets it. And it raises the question of like, okay, why wasn't he playing earlier? And fair, he probably should have been getting opportunities earlier. It wasn't like it took until week 15 or week 14, whatever this was, to, to finally have that all click. It probably clicked earlier, but I don't know that it would have clicked week one, right? It wasn't clicking in the preseason and training camp. So there's something to be said about maybe he did need time on the practice squad to develop, like he said, and he was shouting out his coaches and his teammates for helping him develop in that way. And they do deserve credit for developing him along the way. And there's no magic formula to say, okay, by week five, he's got it. Or by week eight, he's got it. But like, clearly he got it and he got it at some point. And I don't think it, he just got it just now. And so it, it's a balance of trying to figure that out. But the important thing is that he seems to really have a next level understanding and motivation and all that great stuff that you want from a rookie six round picket cornerback. And I'm ex excited to see what he is going to do from here, not only the rest of this season, but maybe beyond as a potentially important young member of this Bears secondary. Unfortunately, it wasn't the same encouragement we saw from the Bears offense. Still a lot to like from Justin Fields, but some mistakes here and there. And we found out a little bit more about, uh, there was a particular moment that I think stood out for me between this relationship between Fields and Nagy and the practicing and working with his starting lineup and all, and all that stuff that really speaks to where the issues have been this season. We'll kind of break down that moment and hear the head coach's thoughts and where he sort of differed from his quarterback in that moment next on Locked On Bears. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Sometimes, honestly, I think it tastes even better than a candy bar because it's so much better for you than a candy bar. So you get that sweet, chocolatey deliciousness without any of the guilt or the extra calories and all that other crap you don't need in your stomach. Of course, they are Built Bars, the world's best tasting protein bars. I just got a box in of the gingerbread Built Bars. It's a special flavor just for this holiday season. And oh man, 
those guys do not miss. Every built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. They're all soft. They're easy to chew. They're absolutely delicious. There's not another protein bar that tastes this good. But more importantly, low sugar, low calories, high fiber, and high protein. It's just, it is unmatched. I've had other protein bars that taste pretty good, and but but have a little bit more sugar, a little bit more calories. I've had other protein bars that have, you know, no sugar and are super low calories, but they taste like crap. And you have to just go to, you know, really kind of choke them down. Built Bars are the best of both worlds, and I cannot get enough. I have to limit myself really to just eating one a day or else I go through boxes of them way too fast. You got to try them for yourself. Head on over to Built.com and use our promo code LOCKED15, and you're going to get 15% off your next order. You can reuse that code too on multiple orders. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Overall, I think Justin Fields had a strong game against the Minnesota Vikings. And we remember the fumbles and the bad sacks, and we don't, we don't remember as much the wow completions because they weren't like wow touchdowns, right? We remember the big touchdowns. We don't remember as much the 19-yard completion to the sideline that was really important for moving the chains but didn't result in a, in a win necessarily. And so then you also remember the, the mistakes tend to stand out a little bit more when the highlights are a little bit more subdued but still really important impressive for rookie quarterbacks and and so like I don't want to like comb through all the mistakes necessarily and and you know be too you know harsh on some of those things because I think it was an important step forward for Justin Fields and, and showing progress again picking up where he left off before he got injured and kind of making those steps forward despite play calling sometimes the offensive line sometimes his receivers and and the supporting cast just not always there for Justin Fields but there was a particular play at in the at the end of the first half and it was not a play that was super super consequential to the outcome of the game although it was a third and short that went incomplete and forced the bears to settle for a field goal instead of going down to a touchdown but but it encapsulated so well i think some of the greater issues it was the third i don't remember if it was third and one third and three third and short bears are empty formation David Montgomery is out at the far wide receiver spot. Justin Fields drops back, three-step drops, throws the curl over to, to Montgomery, and it's like sort of behind him and high. And it just looked kind of like a, 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 a bad miss on an easy throw, right? It wasn't an interceptable pass. It wasn't dangerous. It just was inaccurate, or so it appeared, on a throw that you should expect a quarterback to hit. And so we were kind of wondering, you know, what what might be the issue there? What Justin Fields said after the game was, you know, it was a three-step job. I thought my footwork was good. But, you know, I, he, he sort of said that he's used to throwing that route to wide receivers. And that because it was David Montgomery, Montgomery ran the route a little bit slower than he would expect, say, Darnell Mooney to run that route or Demir Bird or Marquise Goodwin, right? He's, he's, a, he's a running back, not a wide receiver. And so Justin Fields threw it on time for a wide receiver, not on time for David Montgomery. And Fields kind of said, you know, that's just something we need some more reps to work through. And it's something I went to David right away and told him that's what happened and that we just need to practice that a little bit more. Matt Nagy didn't necessarily disagree with Justin Fields, but I thought when Matt Nagy was asked about the same play, his answer highlighted some of the problems, and, and I don't know if it's, it's quite a disconnect, but so, some of the greater issues that have plagued this Bears offense really, I think, from the very beginning of the season. And then there was a, a third down late in the first half. To, it was Fields to Montgomery, 
And Justin said that it was just the timing was a little bit off because David uh, didn't necessarily run the route as fast as he's used to receivers running. I was curious what your diagnosis of that was and how that can get cleaned up there. Uh, it was along the your sideline. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a play where, you know, we got guys running similar routes and, and, um, you know, I just think that that's one that, that we missed on. Uh, he was open, but that's, that's a timing deal, right? You know, that's a, that's a part of what he said. That's more reps together of those guys being able to get that. Uh, David's run that route for several years here in this offense. So, um, you know, that's just, that's a, that's a part of the game. And, and I think it'll be good for the guys to be able to put on the tape and look at it and see and be able to grow from it. So who, who, in your opinion, in that needed to do something a little sharper there? Is that David's route or is that Justin getting out? No, I think, I think, I think, uh, I thought that, uh, you know, they were both fine. You know, really David ran his route with the right steps. His depth was right. His steps were right. Justin made the right decision going there. Uh, his footwork was good. You know, we just didn't connect on it, you know, and sometimes that, that, that's how it goes. It probably gets a little bit more magnified when you score three points than it would in other scenarios, but that's something that those two guys, I promise you, the next time, it's not going to be something they shy away from. They'll be out here practicing that route and other routes just because they both care immensely. First of all, if it's an incomplete pass on third and short, it cannot be possible that both the route runner and the passer were both fine, right? It was an incomplete pass. So for Nagy to go up there and say, they both did fine on that play. N you know, neither one did anything wrong. Well, it, it, it was incomplete. It was a, a failed third down conversion that led to a field goal instead of potentially points. So like that, that is, I, I, get, I totally get that Nagy's not going to go up there and say, oh yeah, Justin screwed that one up. What an idiot. Or let, he's, he's never going to go up there and like directly blame one player and say, yep, that guy got it wrong and he messed up. I mean, I mean, maybe he, I mean, coaches don't tend to do that. I mean, but there's, there's a nice way to be like, yeah, you know, Justin's got to be more cognizant of the timing or whatever. Like you can, you can kind of gloss it over a little bit or smooth it over and kind of say, yeah, you know, it wasn't ideal or whatever, but like, you know, he was kind of saying like it, it, it was a pivotal moment in the game, but it had it been on first down, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. So like he was trying to gloss it over, but then you can't say both players were fine when it was incomplete pass. And there, there's only two possible reasons that play was not fine, right? It wasn't an offensive line thing. It was no pressure. It was just, was it the passer or was it the receiver? It had to be one of them. And you, you can't say it, it was neither of them because it literally has to be one of them. So, like, that's a frustrating thing as far as how Nagy communicates that we just, it's been such a common trend throughout this that it's just, there's not, it feels like, I don't know if it's disingenuine or if it's a lack of transparency or if he's, scared of throwing somebody I mean I don't know what it is he's trying to protect his players but he's just he's not a good communicator to the media at the very least about you know just you can answer that question without throwing your guys under the bus but the, but even beyond that a couple of other things that stand out to me one that's you know if, if your quarterback and running back need more reps on, on that type of play first of all why are you calling that play in a key third down situation in the red zone when you're when you're trying to score points Second of all, it's week 15, right? So, like, this whole, like, you know, needing more reps thing, like, yes, David Montgomery was hurt, and and Justin Fields wasn't practicing with David Montgomery 
for the summer and and the fall. So like, it's further evidence as to like how the Bears are still paying for the decision to not even give Justin Fields first team reps. Right? You can, we can we can argue to our blue in the face about whether he should have started Week One or Andy Dalton or how soon Justin Fields should have been in the starting lineup. But like to have him practicing purely with the backups throughout that whole process to not get those reps with David Montgomery, Allen Robinson, et cetera, et cetera, is how you still have these problems in Week Fifteen. And it's it's just such an encapsulation of of the play calling issue and also the practice time and working with these players together issue that like it should be a play that works but like that's a three step drop throw right so it's not like it's not like oh Matt Nagy wasn't expecting Justin Fields to go to David Montgomery there like it's a it is a one read quick throw that play is designed to go there it's designed to go to that outside wide receiver on that side of the field, which Matt Nagy called the formation to have David Montgomery be there. And so to, to, not, to, to not know that they haven't had enough reps on that play to be on the timing properly there for what should be an easy play looks so bad for the head coach. Like, so like I, I get, so like, I guess I do get there where like, I don't blame Justin Fields because he hasn't had the reps with his running back. And I don't blame the running back because he hasn't had the reps with his quarterback necessarily. And they were both doing the right thing. So I guess, I don't know, do I have, have I come full circle that it's not Justin Fields or David Montgomery's fault? Matt Nagy was right. It was neither player's fault. It was the coach's fault. I mean, maybe, maybe that's how it all sort of comes together there. But it's just, it, it really, I think, encapsulates the, the 